Coming up on the Rami La Vie podcast, a victory Monday podcast. And it's actually in September in a game that actually maybe could mean something for the Jets. That's the leading headline. I was also right about the Packers. I was right about Rodgers. Jimmy Garoppolo continues to win a crazy Ravens game between the Ravens and the Dolphins. A crazy comeback for the Miami Dolphins and my favorite head coach in the NFL, Mike McDaniel. And a lot of other stuff, including Aaron Judge continuing to be historic. All that and more coming up next on the Rami Lefty Podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. I often talk on this podcast about breaking the stigma surrounding mental health. So if you're feeling stressed, depressed, or just want to talk, today's sponsor, BetterHelp, is here to help you. BetterHelp connects you with a licensed, experienced therapist online, and you have access to over 20,000 different therapists that you may not have access to in your area. All you have to do is fill out a questionnaire, and 48 hours later, you're set up with a therapist that fits your needs. You can then schedule video or phone calls and have access to unlimited messages back and forth with your experienced therapist. You can also change to a new therapist at any time with no extra charge. I often talk on this podcast about how perspective is anything, and that's something I learned in therapy. I had terrible anxiety, and I learned about how changing your perspective can change the reality. So take charge of your mental health and join the over 2 million people who already use BetterHelp for therapy online today. And if you use my code, you can get an extra 10% off on your first month. So go to betterhelp.com Rami for 10% off. That's B-E-T-T-E-R help h-e-l-p dot com slash rami for 10% off your first month do it today episode 95 of the rami la vie podcast welcome back it's presented as always by better help use my first name rami r-a-m-i for 10% off of your first month of online therapy it is a victory monday for the new york jets we don't get a lot of these as jets fans and so i'm going to embrace it i talked about it on the podcast i talk about it all the time on the podcast i'm a huge jets fan i don't deny that as we sit here sunday night uh early monday morning soon it's a victory monday and as i watch the end of sunday night football i was right aaron Rodgers still owns you chicago i'm sorry this game was actually closer than i thought it would be um it was like this close it seemed like that it was actually going to happen that Justin Fields did cross the plane, and that was a good touchdown, but we'll get to that a little bit later. Ultimately, the Packers win, and they cover the number in that game against the Bears. As always, Aaron Rodgers beats the Bears. He's now 23-5 and in his career against the Bears. He's now 10-0, and coming off a loss with Matt LaFleur. So all those stats that I gave you on Thursday night, early Friday morning, actually were right. The stats did not lie this time. And Rodgers uh, continues to own the Bears. It wasn't pretty. They're going to have to figure it out with their receiver still as the season goes on. But he found a way to get it done. And they used the two running backs. They utilized them exactly the way you'd hope that the team would utilize those two running backs. And they did a great job of it. As far as my team, the Jets. This is why you say any given Sunday in the NFL. Because today was one of those crazy days. And I know I said this on last episode. that I'm not going to say this every episode. That... Oh, it was a wild Sunday in the NFL. It's actually funny. My father was talking to me and he texted me today. He's like, is Red Zone always like this? This is my first time watching Red Zone. Yeah, I know. He's more of a traditional, I guess, football watcher in the past where he's a Jets fan. He would watch the Jets games. Well, we got him into Red Zone finally. And he's like, maybe I'm in the last person in the world to get onto this trend of Red Zone. But Red Zone's the best. And I'm like, yeah, it's the best. Welcome to Red Zone. It is a game changer for Sundays. And he finally gets it now, um, and he understands why it's so amazing. But I'm sitting here on my couch in my home studio enjoying the end of a long day. It was a long day. We'll get into all of that later, I promise, because there's a lot to get to. 
but it starts with the Jets, and it starts with it being a victory Monday, and I'm still shook. I watched the highlights back a couple of times. I watched the replay of the game. I watched a bunch of different stuff, and I can't believe it happened. I don't believe that they actually came back and won. I mean, it was too good to be true, and as I was going through the emotions of the day, it just it shocked me, and I kind of told you this was a trap game for the Browns. I kind of predicted it. I said, there's a chance that this is a trap game, and maybe when they once they went up two touchdowns, like, yeah, we're good. We have the victory. We're up 13. We're good. We can get out of here with a win. And not so fast, said Joe Flacco. Not so fast said Corey Davis with that huge touchdown on the sideline, which people forget about because the next touchdown, recovering the onside kick and then getting the touchdown to Garrett Wilson. Just insanity, chaos, like I said, any given Sunday. And then the perfect timing of it was, if you see my Be Real, I posted it on Twitter and Instagram also, but Be Real, best social media app out there, by the way, in case you're wondering. It was like at 4.05 was the Be Real. And I was still sitting there in the studio just in shock and awe that the Jets came back and won that game. And I look down at my phone and it says, time to be real. And I <laughs> I look up and it's just me in shock and awe, like I said. And it's uh, Robert Sala celebrating with the team as they won. Even like that last drive was crazy. So I'm going to go through it because I just want to take you through my emotions through the game as it happened, one by one, as it was happening, because a lot happened in that game. It wasn't just an easy victory. Never is with the Jets. But um, this one was particularly crazy. And at the beginning of the game, this is what I was thinking. I was literally texting my father like saying, just sell the team. I know what happened. Look, I believe that there's hope for the Jets because I believe they can still sell the team. There's a lot of talent on this roster. Robert Sala's crazy. He stinks. But there's a lot of talent on this roster. I think if they sell the team, they could be good. I have hope because, look, the Mets sold the team. There's rumors that the Jets might sell. If they do sell, they'd have to sell before 2026 for various different reasons. We'll get into all that. Now it's not the time for it because they actually did end up pulling off the incredible win. But this is what I'm texting people today. This is what I'm writing on Twitter. You sell the team. I saw how it totally turned around the franchise for the Mets. The Mets fan base is a different fan base just because they sold the team. They got new ownership. They don't have the loser mentality anymore. And the loser mentality of taking receipts and the whole thing and everything that went into this week with Robert Sala and the Jets, I was like, we have to be over it. We have to be done with it. And I was so done with it as the Jets were committing penalties. They were making bad mistakes. There are penalties going against them. There's bad plays just dropped passes everywhere so many bad things that happened that you needed to clean up and i'm watching this game just like okay fine they just lose again they, they keep themselves in it so we could all celebrate tomorrow yeah we're right there we're so close we we fought in this game we stayed in it all the way just to end up losing like we always do that's what the jets do that's what they always do they fight they stay close so that they can have a moral victory on monday like the jets have the most moral victories of any team in the league and that's what I was thinking as this game, as Nick Chubb ran into the end zone for that last touchdown that they scored. I was like, yeah, that's pretty much it. The game's over. They're down 13 now. I thought it was over. And then I realized we were playing the Cleveland Browns. And the one thing about the Browns is as much as the Jets are going to jet, the Browns are going to brown. And the Browns outbrown the Jets jetting, if that makes any sense at all. That's exactly what happened in that game. But while that did happen... I do want to be realistic about what's going on here. I don't want to be a downer. I do want to celebrate the victory. But there's something about Mike McDaniel, and we'll get to him a little bit later, because uh, my father had I introduced him. He's all over this podcast, getting many shout-outs. I hope he's listening. Um, so I introduced my father to Mike McDaniel this week because, like I mentioned, I work for the Ravens. And during this week, they were getting ready to play 
the Dolphins. And so I was cutting up interviews for Mike McDaniel. And every time I cut up interviews for Mike McDaniel, it is fascinating to me. I love listening to it. I love watching it. And so I told my father, I was like, hey, have you seen this guy, Mike McDaniel? He's the best. And then my father pointed out something that's incredible. And this is a guy who is authentic and he's genuinely him. He doesn't care what people think. He's kind of not aware what people think. It's not that he doesn't really care. It's just that he's doing himself and he's trying to live his best life. And here was a quote that like, we watched the video together and first we were kind of laughing at it. And then it was like, yeah, that's actually pretty amazing that this guy is able to live his life like this. And the players actually really buy into it. And that's a huge part of this, that the players actually love and respect him because he is the way that he is and because he's authentically him. And he talks about that and that's how he's gotten this far in life. And that's how he's gotten to the point he's gotten. And it's a little bit long, but I think you should hear this. And like um, when I was young, my, my, my mom was driving me with ambition and like really gave me the reins to my own life, probably too young. Right. Where I was like 14 and like I had the answers. Yeah. Um, <laughs> which was cool until I had to like face the world at, or at least go to college. Right. And then I was humbled hard and fast. Right. But um, I never really followed, I never had a cookie cutter. I never follow. had something to follow. Yeah, yeah, gotcha. So I went under everything with the pretense of, hey, you know, I just approached this my own way. Right. Um, and when I was younger, I, people couldn't tell me things, and I had to learn the hard way. Yeah. Um, and, and, that, and that really, you know, um, conversations that come up where, you know, I had bumps in the road in my career. Those were functions of that. Right. Um, but in that process, you just learn that, um, I, I don't know, I, I, I just... Kind of had a, a you gut, grow. Yeah. yeah, and yeah. I had a gut that like, um, if you really care about what you do, if you care about people, and you tr you're trying hard, that um, people will embrace whatever it is. People embrace authenticity. Yeah, and um, so I, I I I didn't really pattern my any any part of my life after any anybody else. Um, I've been called random. People sometimes call me cool. Most do, I think. No, there's a lot of... Then there's people that say that I'm nerdy. And I'm like, <laughs> what's a nerd? I don't get that. Yeah. Um, You're well, nerdy cool. You're nerdy cool. I mean, it's cool to be a nerd it is sometimes. Kinda. Right, right. I Successful know. nerd. Yeah. I, I'm not sure. Uh, that's when it goes to another level. Yeah, so <laughs> um, whatever that is, I think... Um, that's what's done it. Yeah, and then then I work with people that empower me. I, I got hired um, by an owner and a GM that are like embracing uh, that, you know. Um, yeah. And Nolan's standing right there, and she she's the the reason I don't have my foot in my mouth yeah. every day. Right. I had a PR, and right. she she makes um, she steers me in, but says, you know, be yourself every once in a right. while. And so <laughs> it's it takes a village. <laughs> You're funny. Yes. Yeah. This is a guy who's so genuine, who just trying to be himself. And even in that interview, and this was an interview that I remember that I cut up a while ago during the coaches or the owners meetings, I should say. And the players buy into that. They see that and they're like, this guy is genuinely who he is. And they don't give up and they battle for him. And we saw that in the Ravens game today. And here I was thinking, Robert Sala put on this persona of being a t fake tough guy. And he's a player's coach. And he goes out there and says, we're going to take receipts. And I run the stairs and I have this bald face and I have this angry look on my face and I got this beard going although I have this beard going and it sucks I want to shave it off but I'm just lazy so if you're watching a video of me right now I apologize for the appearance but um 
And I was like, this guy's just a fake tough guy. I can't handle it anymore. The team is so flawed in so many ways. He didn't know how to handle his timeouts where there was – they got the ball back after a punt and instead of calling timeout earlier, this is at the end of the first half, he, he calls – he waits 40 seconds and then gets the punt. That was 40 blown seconds. Just certain elementary things that Robert Sala was doing wrong as a coaching staff. And I get it. It's his first time as a head coach and maybe I need to give him some more time. But there were so many mistakes that are so hard and so difficult to overlook as a Jets fan and then they come back and they start the comeback. And I think about this and after the game, Robert Sala didn't, wasn't like, oh, we came back and we won this game and blah, 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 in your face, take these receipts, blah, blah, blah. He basically said, yeah, we made a ton of mistakes. There's so much that we have to clean up that we put ourselves in that position that we were down that late, down 13 with two minutes left because of the mistakes that we made. And luckily we were able to overcome the guys that didn't give up. And I credit the guys for that. He credited the team. He took ownership of the mistakes they made. There was something about that post-game press conference that was almost more impressive than the win itself was how he didn't come in there gloating and saying, and this is exactly what I said. I said, he can't come in here after one win and be like, all like boasting his chest and, and, and saying we won when that's not really what happened. This team played really poorly. They didn't play much better than they played last week, in my opinion. But down the stretch, they were able to make plays. And I told you this talent shone through. And guys like Garrett Wilson making plays, guys like Sauce Gardner. And what was so classic Jets was at some point in this game, Garrett Wilson and Sauce Gardner were the best players on the field for the Jets. And of course, they both get hurt in this game because it's two classic Jets. We can't enjoy anything nice. And throughout this game, my father and I were texting back and forth, as you hear by now. And that was one of the things he said to me. He's like, classic, they're hurt because they were playing well and they're Jets. The Jets are just going to jet. And they have eight penalties for 57 yards. It's not what you want. It's not great. But they didn't quit. And so as much as I can knock the coaching staff for the penalties, for the mismanaged time, for everything that they did wrong, the players went out there and instead of hanging their heads down 13 with two minutes, they actually played even harder and they were like, no, we still got this. Joe Flacco took a deep shot down the sideline to Corey Davis, had him wide open, knew he had to score quickly with a minute 20 seconds left. They scored with a minute 22 left. They get back. Even when they missed the onside kick initially, one guy tries to recover it and it slips away from him and the other guy comes in and recovers it. I thought, oh my God, it slips away from him. Classic Jets. But no, another guy recovered it. The fake punt. Like There were certain parts of this game where the Jets, the players, the coaching staff, everyone involved in the organization really showed that they're trying their hardest and they actually really care and they really want to win. And Maybe there is a little bit of a culture change, and I don't know. Look, I'm happy to see wins. I, I One way or another, I'm just happy they won, and Garrett Wilson, is he was wide open all day. There were certain plays that I was like, how is he so wide open? He even had a couple of drops as a rookie. Yeah, it makes sense, but it was like watching Cooper Cup where it's like there's three guys on him, and he was still wide open. I don't understand how a guy gets so wide open. I didn't really watch the full coaches film. I watched some of the replays back, but... I don't understand how a guy got so wide open so many times in Garrett Wilson. It was truly impressive. Joe Flacco was able to stand in there and make throws. And once Jadavion Clowney went out, that was a huge difference in the game because all of a sudden uh, the Jets, they sold out. It was great defensive or great offensive scheme that they sold out to stop uh, Garrett Wilson because Jadavion Clowney was out. And it was an excellent job. And they stopped Garrett Wilson. They overloaded that side. They ran away from him. They moved everything away from wherever Garrett Wilson was lined up. When they ran the other way, they, they, they blocked that way. It was perfect play design. And they gave Flacco just enough time and just what he needed to do to win this game. He still underthrew some balls. He still had some bad throws. I still think there are certain plays in this game 
that Zach Wilson makes better than Joe Flacco makes. But ultimately, the poise down two scores with two minutes left, does Zach Wilson necessarily make the right plays to win that game? Maybe not as a second-year quarterback who doesn't even have a full 16 or 17 games of experience yet in his career as a starter. And maybe that's what you have to watch. I told you, Zach Wilson going through the process of practice, I talked about this before the season when he first got hurt. I said, it's okay if he's healthy and he still sits out a couple weeks to go through practice. That's what he did this week. He went through practice. He went through pregame prep. He did everything as if he was the starter. But then on game day, he got to sit and watch a guy have poise in the pocket, Who a guy who doesn't have as much talent, is not as gifted naturally as Zach Wilson is, but he was able to get it done because of the poise and and and. Credit to Joe Flacco, and he had lost, I think, 10 consecutive starts as a starter in the NFL, and you feel happy for him. He comes back into the locker room, the way they're celebrating together, and you see how happy Mike LaFleur was for him. You see how happy Sala was for him. There was something special about this team and about this win, and I know it's just one win, and I, I said I wasn't going to get all caught up in one win, but at the same time, credit where credit's due there was something incredible about this and Ashton Davis when he picked it because even that was classic Jets I was like oh my god we just scored and then within one play the Browns were already on the other like almost at the 50 yard line and I'm like well they're just gonna line up and kick a field goal but they're 15 yards away from getting in field goal position and when Ashton Davis intercepted that pass I was like it's over it's over. I mean it was just like I said euphoria shock and awe whatever you want to call it um and by the way shock and awe is a um it's a Mike McDanielism. It's shock and awe. He used it this week to describe uh, Lamar Jackson and his athleticism. So if I keep using it, I'm going to keep using it forever because it's a, it's a great term that McDaniel uh, has coined. Basically, McDaniel is our hero now, in case you're wondering. Um, but look, credit where credit's due. They win. I couldn't be happier. And next week, it's going to be a tough test because you're facing a desperate Cincinnati team, a Cincinnati team that's lost two games in a row, a Cincinnati team that had a terrible game this week, and we'll get into that a little bit later, a week where I thought they were going to blow the doors off of another team that I was like, this is no way, this is not even going to be a contest, and Cincinnati's down bad. The AFC East was awesome this week with, if you think about the Patriots won, and I know the Bills don't play till tonight, but the Patriots won, the Jets won, and the Dolphins won. So the AFC East went 3-0 and today, um, and the Jets are going to have to play a desperate Cincinnati team, but that's all good. And even at some point during this game where it felt like, why wouldn't the Browns just keep targeting Amari Cooper? There was that one drive where they targeted him like seven times, and he was wide open every single time. And credit again to the Jets. They made the defensive adjustment. It was like, that's going to be there all day for them, but then it wasn't. It felt like if they kept targeting Cooper the rest of the day, they would have just won the game by 25 points. But the Jets adjusted. They recovered. And like I said, I there were a lot of things that went wrong. There were a lot of things that maybe I don't love. But you got to give credit to Salah. You got to give credit to the players. You got to give credit to the rest of the coaching staff, especially to Matt LaFleur or Mike LaFleur, I should say. I always get them confused. It's really a similar name um, to Mike LaFleur and Joe Flacco for doing an excellent job. Uh, my day today was crazy. Um, so again, in the studio, nine hours. I played flag football this morning, which was fun. Um, one of our players got hurt on like one of the first plays of the game. So I ended up having to uh, play both sides of the ball, every snap. I messed up my shoulder. I messed up my left elbow. I messed up my right knee. It was a crazy game. And then I go straight from there to the studio for nine hours. And the Ravens fans today, I got to give credit to the Ravens fans because post game show was one of the most fun times I've had on this radio, especially in this radio station. It was 
the most fun show that we've ever done that I've been a part of since joining Odyssey because the Ravens fans brought it and the angry calls that we got and I get it negativity sells more than positivity but the angry calls we got from Ravens fans whether it was Lamar Jackson which is shocking that people even can consider that Lamar Jackson had anything to do with this loss uh, whether it was Greg Roman Jim Harbaugh whatever it was or John Harbaugh who cares anyone they're blaming everyone and anyone whether it's the running game whether it's the defensive backs and their uh, Mike McDonald who's their defensive coordinator I mean it was awesome just one after the other we could barely keep up with the calls because of how many people were calling in just angry and just upset at the Ravens and that game was crazy because they couldn't run the ball and Lamar said after the game he's like they're like uh, running the running game was such a big part of your team. He's like, this isn't the Ravens of two years ago. We're not the same team. We don't have the same personnel. And yes, they're hurt. And I think J.K. Dobbins is going to be out a little bit longer than people originally anticipated. People, I think, expected him to be back this week. I heard from a source that he might not be back till week seven, week eight. And I'm not trying to like name drop here. It was a source that people know. It's Peter Schrager just said. He's like, yeah, I think this injury was more devastating than people initially thought. And he might be out a while longer. So this team is really going to have to figure out a way to compete without relying on that running game. And the problem is when you're trying to put games away and your only option is to run it with your quarterback, you really can't do that. You need to pick up a first down. You need to run the ball. You need to be able to eat clock. And they couldn't do that. And there were some bet you could point to some bad plays. They had the fourth and goal after the uh, in the second quarter, like early in this game. The fourth and goal, they could have gone up 14-0. The touchdown gets called back, and then they fumbled the snap and turned it over on downs there. They turned it over on downs later in the game when they had a fourth down trying to end the game. But then again, the biggest problem, in my opinion, other than trying to run this game out, is how do you let Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddell get behind you so many times? And I know those are two of the most dynamic receivers in the league, and two have played an incredible game. But I don't understand you're playing a cover D, prevent defense at the end of a game to prevent that you the whole point if you're a safety or a corner in that position your whole job is to make sure no one gets behind you that's literally your only job like those memes you have one job you had one job your one job is to make sure no one gets behind you and they let guys behind them again and again and again whether it was waddle whether it was Tua and or whether it was Tyreek Hill and give credit to Tua like I said I, I just said Tua Tua Tonga Vailoa and give credit to my guy Mike McDaniels because he kept that team in it they play for him they love him I didn't get a chance to hear his postgame comments yet I'm definitely gonna go listen to them at some point but I mean that credit them because they stayed in that game I've never seen anything like it so somebody was asking me what's more crazy was the Jets win more crazy or the Ravens lost more crazy and I genuinely think the Ravens loss was more crazy because we've seen this before we've seen stuff happen like this Jets win happen before we've seen a team go down score a touchdown recover an onside kick and score another touchdown it's happened before in the NFL I'm sure you can point to other times I've never in my life that I can remember seeing a team down three touchdowns come back and score three touchdowns in the fourth quarter or the final 10 minutes of the game to win a game I don't think I've ever seen that down 21 points I've never seen that before it seemed like the Jets was something that was more likely to happen. Whereas the Ravens, they got the ball back. They never onside kicked. The Dolphins never used an onside kick. They just score, stop, score, stop, score, stop. Like, how does that even happen? How do you allow them to have enough time to score, to have three touchdown drives in one quarter when you're up 21 points in the fourth quarter? It's astonishing to me. And that Ravens loss is insane. And to think that New England was able to hold Miami to only 20 points 
last week at home in Miami with the wide receivers that they have, it tells you that maybe this New England team is a little bit better than we thought. And I didn't think Mac Jones looked all that great. And it helps that TJ Watt wasn't playing, but they will get the win also. And I was thinking as I'm watching this game, I'm like, wow, the Jets are going to have no chance against these receivers. These are the two top receivers in the league. As far as receiving pairs go, this is as good as it gets with Waddle and Tyreek Hill. I don't think it gets much better. And the fact that I talked about this, yeah, he's a meme. Everyone talks about Tua. He's not that good, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, well, guess what? I talked about this all the time. Talked about, I talked about this before the season. How can we go from saying this guy at Alabama who was tank for Tua, that was the thing, right? Everyone wanted Tua Tungavailoa. To go from that to all of a sudden he can't play in the league because he was in a terrible situation. And now he's got one of the smartest offensive coaches in the league. And yes, they still went down tremendously in this game. Yes, they fell apart early. But they hung in there. And what this offense can do and their quick score ability and their quick strike ability and their deep play ability, all those things are going to go really well for this team. This team could actually make some serious noise. And I think this could revive Tua Tungavailoa's career. And what Lamar Jackson was able to do was more impressive, in my opinion. Lamar Jackson is proving why he's the MVP. He threw for another, what, four touchdowns. He also had the rushing touchdowns. He set the record for the most games of 100-plus yards rushing as a quarterback in the NFL. Yes, what Lamar Jackson did in this game was absolutely bonkers. And he is the reason why the Ravens had that huge lead. And If it weren't for him, they wouldn't have been close in this game. And the fact that they couldn't hold on to the lead has nothing to do with him because you can't rely on him for everything. They couldn't run the ball. They tried to hand it off, and they just couldn't do it. And I don't think you could fault Lamar so much for that, but it was just a wild game. And like I said, every any given Sunday. So I mentioned the Bengals before, so I want to get to the Bengals again. And I think this is the next biggest story because Cincinnati is a mess right now. And if you remember, I told you right after the Super Bowl, I said it was kind of fluky. The Bengals, that Super Bowl run, they weren't that good earlier in the year. They lost to my Jets. Remember, they lost to Mike Effing White and the Jets last year. And all of a sudden, it's like they're in the Super Bowl. They had some fluky wins. It seems like KC fell apart against them in the second half of that game, in the AFC Championship game. It didn't feel like they should have been in the Super Bowl. And yet, there they were in the Super Bowl. So what happened? But then they reshored the offensive line. They got a better defensive pieces. It seemed like they did enough that now all of a sudden they are a real Super Bowl team. Whereas last year, maybe they just needed that little taste. Now all of a sudden they improved to the point that they could be a real Super Bowl team and with Super Bowl experience from all these guys, from all the young guys on that team. And then today they were just a mess. Drops, penalties. They actually only had seven penalties for 35 yards, which is a lot. Seven penalties is a lot for 35 yards, but it seemed like they had more. And it seemed like there were more penalty yards, but I think it was just sloppy, just miscommunications on the offensive line, drops, mishandles of when you're handing the ball off and fumbles and stuff like that. It was just a messy, messy game. And the AFC North today going 0-4 with the Ravens losing, with the Browns losing, the Bengals losing, the Steelers losing. It's kind of the exact opposite. And it's funny that a bunch of those teams, they all played against the AFC East this week. And the AFC East went 3-0 and the AFC North went 0-4. Kind of crazy that that happened today, but I was sure that if there was any team that was going to have a comeback week, it was going to be the Bengals. I was so sure of it. I picked the Bengals to win. I thought there was no chance. I thought Joe Burrow was going to come out with a vengeance and throw for four touchdowns. Now, I mean, they're going to New York. They're going to MetLife Stadium against the Jets. I'm scared. I'm scared again, but the Jets are better than this 
cowboy team. The Jets are better than Dallas. And whoever they put at quarterback, whether it's Joe Flacco, whether it's Zach Wilson, is going to be better than Cooper Rush. And you lost to that team. There's a legitimate chance that the Jets can beat the Cincinnati Bengals. And the Bengals, coming off of a Super Bowl, are going to be 0-3. I'm not predicting it. Like I said, the Jets let you down when you finally start to trust them. That's why at the end of this game, when they were giving me hope with the onside kick, with scoring the first touchdown, I was like, hope is a dangerous thing because this is where they let you down. And yet, I was sure the Jets were going to fail us. But they didn't. They won this game. So they give us a little bit more confidence. Now, against a team that can't protect their quarterback at all, and Joe Burrow is going to get himself killed because he keeps trying to make plays. And like I said last week, he credit him for hanging in there, credit him for trying to scramble around in the pocket and continue to make plays. But he's getting blown up play after play. You don't want to see what happened to Andrew Luck happen to him. He's too good of a quarterback for that. It would be way too upsetting. And so he's running for his life on every single play. That's bad. And I don't know what's going to happen. This team has a legitimate chance of being 0-3. And this is a really scary thought for a Bengals team that now they're falling deeper and deeper. It seems like the Browns are pretty good, actually. We talked about this, and I think the Browns can find a way. Yes, they're going to Brown from time to time. But like I said, if they can find a way to stay 500 by the time Deshaun Watson comes back, there's a legitimate chance that they make a deep playoff run. It looks like the Ravens are actually really good. If they can figure out the back end of the defense and if they can figure out how to run the ball just a little bit better, maybe when Jake Kenny Dobbins comes back, then they're pretty good. And if you think about the defensive lines in this league that Joe Burrow is going to have to face twice a week, he really needs to be careful for his life because facing Jadavion Clowney, who got hurt today, but we'll see what happens with him. I don't think it was major. Clowney and Miles Garrett in Cleveland, whether you're facing Justin Houston in Baltimore, whether you're facing, obviously, TJ Watt when he comes back in Pittsburgh, it's imperative that they figure out a way to protect Joe Burrow or he's going to what happened to Andrew Luck is going to happen to him, and I don't want to see that happen. If we go around the league a little bit more, another story that I would say is probably one of the bigger stories is what happened in San Francisco with the 49ers. And, well, oh, how the turntables, because it's kind of funny how it all works out in the end, right? It's Trey Lance, Trey Lance, Trey Lance. We're getting rid of Jimmy Garoppolo. He's not even in the team meetings. He's not part of the team, blah, blah, blah. And then the next thing you know, he's signed to the biggest contract for a backup quarterback. We're starting to talk about him. Trey Lance has a terrible game in week one. All of a sudden, there's whispers. Trey Lance, is it going to be Jimmy Garoppolo? Is it going to be Trey Lance? And then Trey Lance gets hurt. Trey Lance looks fine. He was good early in the game, but he gets hurt. And then Jimmy Garoppolo is right back in there and doing what Jimmy Garoppolo does, which is win. Because every time Jimmy Garoppolo has started and played for the San Francisco 49ers, they win. If there's one thing we know for certain, it's that Jimmy Garoppolo wins with the 49ers. It's happened time and time again. And so I started thinking about this, and I wrote this down on Friday to record about on this podcast. But the reluctance of the 49ers to stick with Jimmy Garoppolo seemed weird because they trade for a guy who was the backup. He was supposed to be the heir apparent to Tom Brady. He's supposed to be sitting there learning under Tom Brady and then is supposed to take over. But Robert Kraft decided, no, I want Brady for a little bit longer. I like Tom Brady. This is a guy that Bill Belichick drafted to be the next Tom Brady. And he's a guy who kind of liked Tom Brady earlier in his career was, well, he has a great defense. And I'm talking about on the 49ers already. He's like, well, he has a great defense. He has a great running game. It's a great scheme. He's he's a, you know, he's a real uh, system quarterback. He's a game manager. That's A lot of people said that about Brady. And no, I'm not comparing Jimmy Garoppolo to Tom Brady. But if you think about it, his game management and the way he's been able to manage games has gotten them to a Super Bowl, has gotten them to another NFC championship game. And all of a sudden you think about all those things and it's like, oh, wait, 
every time he plays, he wins. And they seemed like they were in such a rush to get rid of that guy. And they traded all those picks to get Trey Lance. And it never really fully made sense. But to think that they could have been replacing a guy who 10 years down the road, 15 years down the road of being a game manager, that's when you become Tom Brady. Because if you do that long enough and you're keep winning long enough, it doesn't matter what your actual physical abilities are as a quarterback. People forget about that because all they remember is the winning. And it seems that the Niners were so insistent on getting rid of that guy. And then when I watched the game today, it was like a different team. All of a sudden, all the players are picking him up after every play. They run and celebrate with him. The 49er teammates love Jimmy Garoppolo. It's just a really interesting thing that we're seeing now in the NFL that Jimmy Garoppolo is beloved by his teammates and he always wins with the Niners. And yet there's this thing around the league that people seem to not be accepting of Jimmy Garoppolo is that he's an actually a really good and more importantly than that, a really winning quarterback. Tony Dungy said on the halftime show tonight uh, during Sunday Night Football, he's like, well, Kyle Shanahan called a great game when they were talking about the 49ers win. What's the reluctance to give Jimmy Garoppolo the actual credit that he seems to deserve at this point? At this point, he's earned the credit because he keeps winning. And with Trey Lance going out for the season, most likely with season-ending surgery, it's going to be a really interesting case study to see what happens. If they keep winning with Jimmy Garoppolo under center, I don't know how you go back to Trey Lance after that. Because if you think about it a few years down the, down the road and you think, wow, we replaced the guy who's quote-unquote Tom Brady. We replaced the guy who... All he does is win, no matter what the stats say, no matter what everything else says, here's a guy who wins and we're trying to replace him. I don't understand that. It makes no sense. Yeah, you gave up all the picks, but maybe take the L. Even if Trey Lance is going to be a great quarterback in this league, you have a guy who's there, who's proven that every time he's there, he wins. And so to me, you stick with Jimmy G. I want to go over my picks because I did go 9-5 and five so far, and I'm going to pick two more games as those are going to be the Monday night games, and we'll get to that a little bit later. But one pick I got wrong was the Arizona Cardinals game, and that looked like it was going to be an easy win in the bag for the Raiders. And this is one of my five picks I got wrong. I had the Raiders minus five and a half, and they're up big. It's an easy win. They should cruise to victory, and Kyler Murray turned into a video game. Everyone was talking about Kyler Murray. The new video game came out this week. He's going to lose, blah, blah, blah. And the team, he looked happy. For he looked awful. He looked like the Kyler Murray we saw last week. I talked about everything last week already, and then he came alive. He looked like a different guy. When That two-point conversion is one of the craziest plays I've seen. Him running around, buying time, all that stuff that he did. All of a sudden, I was like, is this the same quarterback we saw last week? Is this the same quarterback we saw in the first half? And the dysfunctionality of the Raiders is starting to shine through. This is a team who I said overcame so much last year. And all of a sudden, they're proving to be a little bit dysfunctional. And Derek Carr is overlooking, it seems like. We saw this last week. He's looking to target Devontae Adams too many times. And that's ultimately costing him. A game I did get right, like I said tonight, was the Packers. They do close out the Bears. They win by a couple of scores. Ultimately, it was a three-score game. Another game I got right was the Detroit Lions and the Washington Commanders. And this game was not particularly close. I told you, I thought Washington was not that good a team. I thought Detroit's a much better team. 36-27 was the final. I had the minus two and a half. They ultimately win by nine. So pretty chalk game. But if you think about it, the Lions won, the Jacksonville Jaguars won, and the Jets won. As we get to the Jacksonville Jaguars, I picked that game also. I told you Jacksonville would win. 
Jacksonville did ultimately win this week. Not only did they win, they shut out the Indianapolis Colts. And like I said last week, Frank Reich's seat is really starting to get hot. But if you think about it, the last time the Lions, the Jets, and the Jags, and this stat is fascinating, the last time the Lions, the Jets, and Jags all won on the same day was 3,934 days ago, which if you do the math, is almost 11 years ago, (laughs) the last time those three teams won on the same day, and it happened today. Going through the other picks, the rest of the picks that I made, I did get Tampa right. I told you I didn't love that pick. I told you that Tom Brady, that's the house of horrors for him, and he did not play great. And by the way, um, there's something interesting that I noticed. When Tom Brady is acting like a child and throwing a temper tantrum on the sideline and throwing tablets and yelling at his teammates, it's like, oh, he's such a fierce competitor. I love him. And Aaron Rodgers rolls his eyes once. And we're showing slow motion replays of it going to every single commercial break NBC because we have to prove that Rodgers is a diva because we have to play into a narrative. That makes no sense to me. I mean, yes, Tom Brady shouldn't be throwing iPads. And yes, Aaron Rodgers is known from time to time to get upset when things aren't going his way. Well, guess what? They're both fierce competitors. I don't know how one guy is, oh, he's a champion, heart of a champion. He throws the iPad like that. The other guy is, oh, he's a diva. You can't win with him. Kind of just a narrative thing. I always tell you about that. I always tell you to look out for that. There are narratives in the league. That's one of them. Another game I technically got right, but neither team looked great, was the Broncos. They beat the Texans. It was plus nine and a half. I picked the Texans. They covered. Uh, They did lose by seven. They lost by a touchdown. But the Broncos only able to score 16 points. And again, Russell Wilson really not looking good two games into the year. I told you the Giants beat the Panthers. I got that one wrong. They did beat the Panthers at home. That wasn't pretty for the Giants either. And also the Rams, they beat the Falcons. I said the Falcons would cover in that game. I didn't like the huge number. What was it? I think 10 and a half or something like that. The Rams almost blew this game and that was crazy. And the Patriots beat the Steelers. I got that one right also. So we covered the Patriots and the Steelers. We already covered earlier. We covered San Francisco. They were the ones who beat the Seahawks. So I told you might not win another game the rest of the year. So We're going to go to the Monday night games because we have some interesting games tonight. We have two games tonight. At 7.15 p.m., we have the Tennessee Titans at the Buffalo Bills. And the Buffalo Bills are favored by minus nine and a half. I think the Buffalo Bills are going to blow the Titans out. I think the Titans are a bad team. We saw them against the Giants last week. I think they're really bad. I think the Bills at home are going to come out firing. Yes, they haven't played in 10 days, so maybe they'll get off a little bit slow in this game. But I think ultimately the Bills will win and they'll cover the 9.5. I need a huge game from Stephon Diggs in fantasy. Like, I really need a huge game from Stephon Diggs in fantasy because I'm down and the guy still has a couple of players left so I'm probably gonna lose but honestly I think Josh Allen Stefan Diggs I think those guys will go off and I really think Tennessee like I said is one of the worst teams in the league and in the later game at 8 30 so they're only staggered by about an hour and 15 minutes but I'm sure you'll get to see both games the Minnesota Vikings are going to the Philadelphia Eagles the Eagles are favored by minus one and a half and I'm taking the Vikings and an interesting thing because a lot of people are talking about Kirk Cousins primetime Kirk Cousins never take Kirk Cousins in primetime Maybe with a little bit of pressure taken off of him because there's a second Monday night game. Uh, Maybe that'll help Kirk Cousins. But something interesting that I want to talk about regarding Kirk Cousins uh, relates back to Lamar Jackson. Because with every game that Lamar Jackson has another insane game, people keep talking about, well, is he going to get the contract? What's he worth? And ultimately, it seems like the Ravens are content with franchise tagging him at the end of this year. And I was listening back to someone talking about how the Washington Commanders franchise tagged Kirk Cousins and ultimately 
They franchise tagged him and then they let him walk. And it worked out for them, right? Because he signs a huge contract elsewhere and Minnesota really hasn't gotten over the hump with Kirk Cousins. But has it really worked out for the Washington Commanders? Don't you think the Washington Commanders would have been better off having Kirk Cousins as their starting quarterback than the carousel of different guys that they had coming in and out of here the last few years? I talked about this with the Browns when they traded away Baker Mayfield. Stability sometimes is the best thing. And while, yes, the Vikings are not have not had a ton of success with Kirk Cousins, and I think they'll win tomorrow night, and I think they could actually be a really good team, one of the best teams in the NFC this year. Being a team that's constantly a revolving door, especially at the most important position in the league, which is the quarterback position, is not a great thing. So yes, you franchise tagged him. Yes, you didn't have to give Kirk Cousins a huge contract that maybe you deemed he didn't deserve. But ultimately, you pay what market value is. So Yes, sometimes you have to overpay for a guy, a guy that you don't think is worth that money. But guess what? That's the cost of business. That's a guy who, how many, he's not replaceable. We're talking about NFL quarterbacks here. NFL quarterbacks don't just fall off trees. And ones that are capable of winning games and a guy like Kirk Cousins, who's going to win you nine to 11 games every single year, those guys don't come along very often. So yeah, he's not worth the money that ultimately the Minnesota Vikings paid him. Maybe not. But at the same time, he's a heck of a lot better than whatever else you had going on. So Lamar Jackson has won an MVP. So you're going to really play that game of franchise tagging him and doing that. If you're the Ravens, I get that you don't want to do what repeat the same mistake that you did with Joe Flacco, where you're paying for a guy, way over paying for a guy who's not delivering on what you paid for him. He's not giving you the same value back. But what's the alternative? Is there really a better alternative for the Ravens out there than Lamar Jackson right now? I don't think there is. Something else we saw, and I said we talk about this, so I do want to hit about the, on this real quickly before we move on from the NFL, is rulings on the field and how important they are. We saw this in two cases, and I, I mentioned that we were going to talk about it at the top, but on Sunday Night Football, we saw this with Justin Fields. I thought that was a touchdown. If they rule that on the field a touchdown, it stays a touchdown. Because they decided that it was not a touchdown on the field, it gets confirmed as not a touchdown. And we saw in the Jets game also, there was a touchdown that earlier they had in the back right side of the end zone for the Browns, and they ruled it a touchdown on the field, and then afterwards, they actually overturned it. But it's so much harder to overturn a call. Sometimes we think, like, well, just call everything a touchdown because then it's automatically reviewed, right? But that's not the answer. The answer is, if it's called a touchdown on the field, the call on the field matters a lot more than we think. And so even though we have replay in the NFL, it's just a great reminder to remember that, yes, we have replay in the NFL, but the call on the field is so important, and we really rely on these refs to get the calls right. And I think they missed a huge call in that game for the Bears against the Packers. I tend to um, generally talk about New York on this podcast, and it was a big day for New York because the Mets won, the Yankees won, the Jets won, and the Giants won. All four New York teams won, and the last time that happened was September 27th of 2009. And for the Yankees, it seemed dire. It seems like every time, and I talk about this all the time, it seems like every single time the Yankees need a huge start, they lose the first two games of a series, they need to salvage the series, and their aces on the mound, it's Garrett Cole, he doesn't come through. And I don't care. Four runs in whatever he ended up throwing, six innings, yeah, he straightened the ship or whatever it's called. It's not good enough, Garrett Cole. When they need him most is when he stinks the most. And I, I sound like a broken record, but every time he pitches, I say the same thing. And every time the Yankees play, I say the same thing. Aaron Judge, what he's doing is insane. And I do want to say this on the podcast because hopefully I'll be talking about it on Tuesday night. 
leading into Wednesday for the next episode. And I'm going to do kind of um, on the next episode, we're going to look at the trends that we saw in week one and whether they continued in week two or whether they went in the opposite direction, whether it was just a one week thing and it was an aberration in week one. So we're going to check on NFL trends. But another thing we're going to do, and that's in addition to the power rankings and all the different fun stuff we did last week. I thought the Wednesday episode was one of the most fun episodes we've done. But another thing, I'm going to recap my experience at Yankee Stadium because I will be at Yankee Stadium on Tuesday night, which is the next Yankee game. They'll play playing the Pittsburgh Pirates. And it's funny because the outfield seat tickets were more expensive than the tickets behind the Yankee dugout because people are going to be trying to catch Aaron Judge's 60th homer. He's now batting up to, I think, 315. He's second or third in the league in batting average. He's got a chance at the real at the triple crown, like a real chance at the triple crown. He has 59 homers with, I think, 15 games left, 16 games left in the season to get to 60. And I'll be there. It seems like he hits a home run a night. So hopefully on Tuesday night, he does hit his 60th. Even if he doesn't, though, I'm going to be there for every at-bat. Every at-bat is must-watch TV right now. And every at-bat is going to be at standing room only. Everyone's going to stand up with the camera phones. It's going to be a crazy atmosphere one way or another. So I look forward to that. Um, that's all I got on the Yankees stuff. Like I said, we talked about it already. We talked about the Jets. I mean, it, there's not much else to say. And we talked about tomorrow night's games or tonight's games, Monday night football. It's going to be really fun. Like I said, I am going to take the Vikings, even though it's primetime Kirk. And I think the Bills will also blow out uh, the Tennessee Titans. And I think the Vikings are going to beat the Eagles, even though a lot of people like the Eagles. Look out. I think the Vikings are actually really good. All right. So that's going to do it for the podcast. Like I said, Wednesday episode is going to be a really fun one. Maybe I'll even record in the car on the way home when I'm driving home uh, from New York. So that'll be a little bit wild, but I'm looking forward to that and all the other stuff. My day today, like I said, was crazy. Maybe we'll talk a little bit more about what's going on there with 105.7 The Fan because it's been fun lately. So a lot of stuff to get to, a lot of stuff to cover. Always stay locked in. Enjoy Monday night football. The two Monday night football games should be a blast. Until next time, like, subscribe. If you like the podcast, share it as always. Like I said, go follow us on social media at Rami underscore La Vie podcast on TikTok and Instagram. Of course, you can follow me on Twitter at Rami underscore La Vie and on Instagram at Rami.Lavie. Lots of great content coming out your way, uh, which is awesome. It's really fun to be doing this. So like I said, like, subscribe. If you like it, share it, all that good stuff. I hate being a self-promoter, but I got to do it. And until next time, see you guys. You were the best nights of my life. You got the light that always shines. I miss the way that you move and the way I get high When you take me to your eyes Like I'm standing in the sky I see your subway cars and your old graffiti I breathe your air when I land in another city I'll be that one that's got you printed on my bones Yeah, you're all I know Everywhere I go Change it all, oh, oh, oh. always on my Drive down Riverside, see the birds flying on the high line.
sidewalks burning, we pray for rain in July. I want the Yankees 99, yeah. and the Knicks on a sold out night. When the curtains close and the Broadway streets are alive. Hey. I need your heartbeat close, don't you ever leave me. And I breathe your air when I land in another city. And I'll be that one that's got you printed on my bones. I'm still here. 